evidence and answers. What do you do when you find yourself in a discussion with an argumentative person? Or you find yourself overmatched by a professor who puts you on the spot in your college class? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucheren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat and his guest, Stand to Reason President Greg Kokel, discuss tactics you can apply when you find yourself in these situations that will allow you to engage a hostile skeptic with truth and grace and still be an effective witness for Christ. Now with part one is our host, Pat Zucran. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, the Bible commands us to share our faith with the unbelieving world, but many Christians are often reluctant to share their faith because they may find themselves in a heated discussion with a hostile adversary. After a heated exchange, both parties often leave frustrated. Well, what do you do when you find yourself in a discussion with an argumentative person, or you find yourself overmatched by a professor who puts you on the spot in your college class? Well, our guest today has been engaging the culture and equipping Christians for decades. Greg Kokel is the founder and president of Stand to Reason, a ministry designed to train Christians to think more clearly about their faith and to make an even-handed, incisive, yet gracious defense of Christianity and Christian values in the public square. Greg received his Master's in Philosophy of Religion and Ethics at Talbot School of Theology and his Master's in Christian Apologetics from Simon Greenleaf University. He's an adjunct professor in Christian Apologetics at Biola University. He hosts his own radio show for over 25 years and has been featured on shows such as Focus on the Family, CBN, and the BBC. And Greg has debated popular atheists such as Michael Shermer of Skeptic Magazine. Talk about a hostile witness there. And others from various worldviews. He's a prolific author and popular speaker. He was with us there in the Philippines, here in Hawaii. He's been a very popular guest with us here on Evidence and Answers. So, Greg, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Hey, Pat. It's so great to be talking with you again. Last time I saw you, it was in Manila, and we had a great time there in the Philippines, didn't we? Yes, yes. I think we had uh, close to 1,000 in attendance there, and uh, many, you know, I was really inspired. Many walked through the waist-high floodwaters there in Manila to get to the Uh conference to see, to hear you and, and meet you. A lot of people listening to you over the web there in Manila. Wow. That was really encouraging to see the response. It was a great group of people. Well, Greg, you wrote a great book, Tactics, I believe over a decade ago. Right. And you just released the new 10th anniversary expanded edition. So congratulations on that. It's been a hot seller for many, many years. Yeah, thank you so much. I am so excited about this book, partly because we have 10 years of a track record of people responding so well to the material and recommending it to others because of what it's enabled them to do, but also because this isn't just the same book released 10 years later. I've doubled the number of tactics virtually. I've added 40% new material. There's uh, six new chapters. I went through every word of the book, and I tried to make it better, adding a whole bunch of stuff, a path that, frankly, I've learned over the last 10 years in how to teach this material better and also how to maneuver more effectively in conversations with others who disagree with my point of view. So I'm holding it right now in my hand, and I can feel it's a lot heavier than the other book because it's a lot more pages. 
But there's so much good stuff in this new edition, Pat. I hope everybody that listens to you now who has dogger-eared copies of the old edition will get the new one because they're going to get a lot of great new material. Yes, and I can say in our post-Christian culture today, this, I would say, is one of the best and most practical books on evangelism that I have on my bookshelf there, and that's why it's a required reading for my seminary in my apologetics and evangelism Uh, class. I always like it when professors force their students to buy my book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I, I think they'll thank you in the end. Yes. Now, in tactics, you talk about the ambassador model and being an effective ambassador for Christ. Right. Now, what does it mean to be an ambassador? Well, I approach the entire apologetics task in a different way now than I used to, Pat. Uh, I became a Christian during the, the Jesus movement, as you know. Early on, actually, I spent time there in the islands doing summer outreach projects in Waikiki back in the in the mid-70s. And of course, back then it was just, you know, share the simple gospel and people trusted the Lord. But now, times have changed. You know, the gospel isn't simple to people anymore. They don't understand the language. They're hostile, as you pointed out, in our culture much, much more than they ever were before. And so now I, I don't think in terms of evangelism, which for many people conjures up a picture of confrontation, I think more in terms of a genial diplomacy. And that's where the term ambassador comes from. Second Corinthians 5, chapter 20, Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were speaking through us. And then he says, I beg of you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So there's a role that we play in the whole process of reconciliation. That's a very particular kind of role, and that is what Paul calls an ambassador. And when I got thinking about it, it seemed like a good ambassador has three really essential qualities, or at least skills in three areas. And one of those is knowledge. That is, the ambassador has to know what the sovereign is telling, wants to tell the people the ambassador is going to go to. So there's a knowledge component. There's also a character component, because if the ambassador is just rude, you know, uh, that's going to ruin the message. But in between, there's this other thing that I call tactical wisdom. And wisdom is the right use of knowledge, in this sense, a powerful way of interacting with people so that they can be, in a sense, both diplomatic and effective in communicating the truth. And so this is where the tactical game plan comes in. Knowledge is an accurately informed mind, but wisdom is an artful method. Character is an attractive manner. But that middle thing, wisdom, the methodology an artful method. That is the topic of the tactics book. And frankly, I I don't see how Christians can navigate well as ambassadors for Christ, even if they have the right knowledge and they have the, the character that commends the message and doesn't undermine the message, if they don't have a, a kind of a toolkit, what I call a game plan, that will allow them to share their Christian convictions in a thoughtful, gracious way that looks more like, let's call it uh, diplomacy than detail, okay? Yeah, you know, and, and Greg, that's one of the things that intimidates Christians is they don't like to get into these confrontational right. arguments here. And tactics is designed to avoid that and have more genuine, congenial kind of conversations, even right. with a hostile adversary. That's right. It's that, that is the whole point. And knowing that as the culture gets more and more hostile, it puts the Christian more at a disadvantage. And if what the Christian has in mind is that 
kind of the old style where you go face-to-face, you give them the gospel, you try to get them to sign on the dotted line or something like that, get them to receive Christ. That's really a harvest mode. That's a harvest mentality. But Francis Schaeffer made it clear that, you know, we need pre-evangelism, too. We need what I call gardening. (laughs) And there's a truism here that's at play, and that is before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening, in other words. And this is true in everybody's life. Any of your listeners that think about if they became a Christian, say, as a young adult or an adult, there was a season where they are thinking about it, where they're asking questions, where they're arguing, they're pushing back, they're back and forth, back and forth. And what's going on there is the Christians are doing gardening in their life, okay? They're giving them, they're tilling the soil, they're, they're watering, they're pulling weeds, they're answering objections, all of those kinds of things. But when the person gets ready to harvest, when the Holy Spirit has worked in their life in a way that really, they're ready, okay, like I was in September 1973, man, that fruit just dropped right into the bucket. It didn't take any effort. The harvest is easy when the fruit is ripe. How do you get ripe fruit? You got to do the gardening well. And so this is why when, when I'm engaged with other people in talking and conversations, I'm not thinking about winning them to Christ because my goal isn't to harvest. My goal is to garden. My goal is, as I put it in the book, just put a stone in their shoe. Just get them thinking. And if I can get them thinking, give them something to chew on, back to my metaphor, if I can do a little fertilizing in a good way or watering or pulling a few weeds, that's all I need to do for that day. I don't have to try to push for the the clothes, you know, and get them to sign on the dotted line as Christians. That will come in due time, in God's timing. And I tell you a, a secret here, Pat, you know this because you've been with me when I've talked to audiences on this issue, whether it's in the Philippines or in the islands. When I talk to them about not worrying about the harvest part, but think about doing the gardening a little here, a little there. Try to put a stone in their shoe. Only worry about that. And that's what the game plan will allow them to do, the tactical game plan. I can see the expression on their faces. People get all relaxed and they start thinking, oh man, I can do that. And my response is, of course you can do that. It's not that hard when you have a game plan. And so what this ends up doing is it gets a lot of people who are sitting on the bench because they're too frightened of the confrontation. It gets them off the bench and into conversation in brand new ways they never thought was possible with a lot of safety for themselves, but a lot of effectiveness for the other person in the conversation. Yeah, you know, that's one thing I love about this approach. And, you know, when we're talking to someone who maybe this is the first time they're engaging Uh, with a Christian, the first time they've heard the truth about Jesus Christ or someone that's hostile, you know, one thing you say is you got to have realistic expectations here. Can't expect them, you know, to say, hey, I want Jesus and drop to their knee and pray the sinner's prayer. Right. You know, you need to, like I say, instead of hit the home run every time, sometimes you just got to get them to first base. Yeah. And so what are some of the goals we have, you talked about putting a pebble in the shoe. Yeah. What are some of the goals here when we're first dealing with someone that may be aggressive or resisting the even hearing things you have to say? Yeah, well, I, I like your baseball metaphor because I make the same point. We don't have to swing for the fences. I, I'll even take it a step further than you did, Pat. I don't care if people get on base. I, I just want them to get in the batter's box, you know, because I'm pretty confident if you have a tool like the tactical toolbox of the tactical game plan, 
that once you get in the batter's box using that, then the Holy Spirit is going to start doing some amazing things. And in fact, we've seen this happen. So you asked about what are, like, in a certain sense, some of the steps here, and what are the goals? How do we get into this? So first, there is the perspective, and I've already touched on that. I'm not looking to win someone to Christ. That's not my goal, okay? I, I don't even know that I'm going to get to the gospel in this particular conversation, I, I maybe am initiating with somebody, okay? I don't know because I don't know where they're at, what their ideas are, are where, where to go with that. I'm just longer term in the conversation. I just want to, like you said, put a stone in their shoe, a pebble, get them thinking, all right? So how do I do that? What I tell people is the very first step of the game plan. And In other words, the first thing you, you worry about and you don't think about the end of the game, you know, the hitting the homer, whatever, closing the deal. Just think about this first step, and that is gathering information. All you're worried about is gathering information. You know, I was in the Philippines with you, uh, I think it was in July, and then when I came back, I was back for a couple of weeks, and then I went to Paraguay. And on my way back from Paraguay, I was stuck in the middle of the night in Sao Paulo in Brazil at an airport. And frankly, I've been speaking for 12 days, and I was worn out, and it was the middle of the night, and I ended up getting in a conversation at the table there as I was just getting a snack, uh, getting ready to switch planes, with a young Mormon who had been a missionary there. And when I heard that he was a Mormon, I mean, a lot of people think, well, that's a great opportunity to share. I, I didn't feel that way. I felt, oh, man, I don't want to get into this now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm beat. I'm tired. It's the middle of the night. I've been working, that kind of stuff. So I'm just a human being like everyone else. And then I remembered my game plan. I don't have to press this guy to leave Mormonism. All I have to do is start gathering some information. And the way to do that is by asking questions. And uh, I talk in detail about particular instances where I do that. It's all in the book. A model question that I I encourage people to ask is, what do you mean by that? Or, Or some version of that. So I call. I ask the guy, you know, well, so what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, he, how do you know Portuguese? Oh, I'm a, a former LDS missionary. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, that explains why you know the language. But why are you here now? You say former. Well, uh, that's just another question, like, what do you mean by that? I'm just drawing him out. And when he gives me a little information, I'm asking for a little bit more. In other words, I do not put myself under the pressure pad of forging forward and banging against the the LDS door there and the opposition right out of the gate. A lot of people think if they have to do that, they're not going to say anything. And then I remembered my own game plan. I don't have to do that. Why don't I just start asking questions and see what happens, all right? And that's the key. When we start drawing people out in a very friendly fashion, asking some form of the question, what do you mean by that? And this is especially good if they're raising some challenge against Christianity. Well, everything's relative. Oh, really? What do you mean by relative? What do you mean that everything is relative? Oh, well, Jesus never existed. Really? What do you mean? In light of the historical information, what do you mean by that? And let them talk. We don't have to be committed to opposing them at the outset. And so if our Christian friends now are, are simply committed to gathering some information and not going any further at this point, that's the way to start out in a relaxed fashion. Let's get that information on the table. Let's get a little understanding more of what that person believes. What is their view? You know, what is their background? All of this is friendly stuff that creates an, a conversational atmosphere where there's no conflict, And what you're doing is you're listening. 
Um, the Christian is not doing all the talking, and, and the other person is. The Christian isn't making their case and opening themselves up for attack by the other person. They are the ones sharing their view. And this gives the Christian a, a, a moment to relax. It buys them some time and then see what happens as you're gathering information. So that's the first step. Gather information, using questions, drawing a person out, especially some form of the question, what do you mean by that? Virtually every challenge to Christianity needs more clarification. Let them clarify. That's what the question is for. Yeah, you know, you talk in your book that one of the things you have to do is get into the driver's seat. Right. Instead of always playing defense and, you know, as they pummel you with questions and as you begin to start answering, they pummel you with some more and some more. That's right. Instead of that, you say, get into the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And by asking questions, that's one of the ways you get into the driver's seat. Well, just in your role as a talk show host, think of it. I mean, you interview different people like you're interviewing me now. You are really, even though I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing most of the talking, you are actually directing the conversation by the questions you're asking. So you're in the driver's seat, Pat, even though I'm doing most of the talking right now, and that's what we're talking about. Not manipulating, but managing. Not coercing people, but controlling in a good way the direction. And when you're in the driver's seat, it's a lot more relaxing to have a conversation with somebody who opposes you. Yeah, you know, and most people actually uh, want to share what they believe, and uh, uh, they're actually surprised when they hear that, that you want to hear what they believe. They're they're yeah. often surprised. They think they're going to get preached at, you know. Yeah. And instead, you're over there asking them questions, and uh, it actually becomes something that they, you know, a conversation they really like because they they want to share what yeah, they believe. Yeah. I'll tell you another surprise though, Pat. When I ask, this happens all the time. When I ask people what they mean by that giving them an opportunity to share their view, it's amazing how much, how many times I get dead air. That is a blank look. Mm-hmm. They, don't, yeah. they don't know how to. They might repeat their phrase or whatever they said. And I said, no, I, I got this the first time. I just want more information about it. It is amazing to me sometimes when you give an, a person an opportunity to explain and articulate or expand on his own view, how often they don't have much to say because they have not thought about it very much. And, and the Christian here is doing them a favor by forcing them to think more carefully about exactly what they do believe. Yeah, you know, I sat down uh, to lunch uh, with a, a lawyer who was very hostile to Christianity. Mm-hmm. As soon as the conversation started, I was like, oh, no. And you could see he was angry. You know, his eyebrows were <laughs> down. He wasn't smiling at all. And he just said, you know, I can't believe in Christianity because of all the evil and suffering I see in the world. And I said, yeah, wow, that 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 that's a good... Uh, thing you observed there, I said, I said what, what do you mean by evil? Yeah. How do you define it? And suddenly, yeah, you just saw this blank stare on his face. Uh-huh. And uh, he just kind of looked at me and said, well, and then he finally looked at me and he goes, no one's asked me that before. And well, I said, you know, this is a, a very perceptive question you're asking, and a lot of Christians don't realize this, that, that the problem of evil only makes sense in a, in a theistic worldview like ours. In an atheistic worldview, there's no grounding for um, objective or absolute right, right and wrong. And so, you know, it, it makes no sense. Uh, sometimes I, I have a little ser- series of questions kind of like that in my mind. So when they say about the evil, I say, so you do believe in evil then? 
I said, yeah, I do. So you think there's a standard over the world that people break? Yeah, that's the problem of evil. I said, well, wait a minute, you're an atheist, right? Yeah. Well, now I'm confused. Why are you confused? Because how is it that you make sense of any evil at all in a world when there, where there is no God? There's the question. Okay, and that's really the issue you're getting at with your question. And a lot of times people who get asked that question, they are dumbfounded because they, they never realize that the presence of evil in the world, which needs to be answered in some sense by Christians, turn out to be good evidence for God, not good evidence against them. And this is one of the reasons, like what you face, you get dead air when you ask the question. Yeah, and... You know, the conversation completely changed. And then he kind of looked over at me and said, well, how do you define evil? You know, and there you go. Just I wasn't even asking. I didn't have to force my way in. He was inviting me in uh, to share. (laughs) So this your tactics, uh, it it works. Yeah, you know what? But he was using a tactic against you because he's trying to buy time, which is okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, okay, well, well, we can make sense of it. Evil is when we violate God's will. Okay, there you go. Well, I don't believe in God. All right, then you don't believe in a violation of God's will. Now you're back to the original question. What's evil then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now the yeah. ball's in his court again. Anyway, so that's a, good, that's a good example of not only how you use the question, but how when he gets befuddled, he is going to buy some time by tossing the ball back into your court. But of course, that's not a hard question for Christians, because right. we can make sense of evil in this world, given that there is a God who sets the standard for good and evil. Right. Now, as you ask your questions, I mean, what are you looking for? Well, initially, uh, Pat, I'm just looking for clarification. I mean, right out of the gate, I'm looking for some information about the person that helps me to have more genial discussion. So if I was sitting on the airplane next to somebody, I might just kind of say hi and you know, ask where they're going. Are they going home? Are you going to work? You know how you make small talk like that Mm -hmm. in the airplane. But that's just to soften things up. I've learned a lesson, and maybe you've thought about this. Everybody who sits down next to you in an airplane is weird until (laughs) Uh (laughs) until you say hi. And then, then you realize they're human beings, you start talking to them. But the next thing that I'm looking for is maybe some indication of what they're, if I can maneuver it this way, or maybe there's some natural circumstances that help me to do that, get some perspective on what their spiritual point of view is. And so when I tell them, well, I'm going to a conference in the Philippines because Pat Sucre is dragging me out here to speak to, <laughs> to Philippine Christians, okay, well, now I'm labeled as the believer. You know, oh, yeah, well, I, uh, I, I, okay, that's great, blah, blah, blah. People just nod to it, you know. I said, well, I, I might say, well, um, what are your spiritual convictions? Okay, that's a very open-ended question, and it's friendly. Okay, they might, then they might share with me. And now I'm listening very carefully. And any time there is any ambiguity in anything, then I want more information. They might say, well, I'm not really religious, but I'm spiritual. Oh, okay. I've heard that a lot before. What's the difference between being spiritual and being religious is what I'll ask them. Notice that all I'm asking is in a friendly way for more clarification. Well, that means organized religion. I'm not into that, but I, I do have a spiritual side. Okay. Oh, that helps me. When you say you have a spiritual side, how, how does that express itself in your life? Does that mean you believe in God or some kind of supernatural thing? So now it's their turn. Notice the whole time, as they are making comments, they're giving me more things to ask questions about. 
And and notice, even in this little role-playing thing I'm doing here with you, Pat, about the person who's spiritual but not religious, I am forcing them to probably think more carefully about exactly what they do mean by that statement than they've ever thought before. Uh, and this is why it's good to have patience with them. But these things turn out to be great conversations because the more information you have, the more questions you can ask. And what I'm hoping to be doing then, if I see something just a little bit amiss, kind of like with your conversation with the attorney, how could there be an evil, you know, if there's no God kind of deal? Then I'm going to ask questions in that direction, hoping to put that stone in their shoe that I was talking about earlier. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally at 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>